Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, you should have some sermon notes. John chapter 3, would you turn there with me? And again, if you go by the cafe, we have some information. Love for you to pick up that, take it with you. Remember us in your prayers. We are hoping uh, to pour concrete on the first building next month. Uh, Bob Roethlisberger and Rich Du Bois were down a couple of weeks ago, and, and Richard and you know Dewey, both of them are in concrete. He helped us immensely, and so we're still needing uh, help, but we are going to start. Uh, someone said, when are, when are you having teams to come down? You'll be hearing from us starting in May. Small teams on weekends uh, to build, put up this building, so we're grateful for that. All right, if you have your Bible this morning, stand with me. Turn with me to John chapter 3. And we're delighted you're here. Pastor Josh has been speaking on what's just happened. And I know last week he spoke about salvation. Today we want to talk about your identity, what happened in you. And uh, we want to focus on that this morning. Your your, um, relationship with God changed the day you asked Christ into your heart. you believe that? You know, I heard the story. It's not humorous, but it makes a point. Years ago, some businessmen heard about uh, an elderly widow who couldn't pay her rent. And she was about to be evicted, so this guy went to his friends, and he collected some money. And he went to her house, and he saw her go in the door, and he knocked on the door. He wanted to deliver the rent to her, and he couldn't get an answer. He knocked once, twice, three times, finally left. The next day, he saw her almost destitute on the sidewalk, and he explained, we heard about your plight. We've come to help you. I, have, I, I knocked on your door, and we couldn't get an answer. And she put her hands on her face, and she said, I thought you were the landlord here to evict me. Can I tell you something? Your identity changed. God's not trying to evict you. He wants to bless you. You are a son and a daughter of God once you accept Christ. Amen? John chapter 3 this morning, verse 1. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, explained Nicodemus? How can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. The key is verse 6. Humans can reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can't hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Would you join hands with somebody on your right and your left? If you're alone, move out of where you're, you're standing this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the grace that you give us through your son, Jesus. Your word is anointed, anoint our hearts. I pray that word gets past our head, down into our hearts, where we can be rooted and grounded in your love, in our identity as your children. I pray for your blessings here today, that we're never the same as a result of your word being engrafted into our soul. I pray for Pastor Josh and Lauren and all the pastors in Northwest Jefferson County and South St. Louis County. Build your church. And Father, you don't need us today, but we are grateful that you've included us in the family of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Last week, Pastor Josh spoke about salvation and and what it entails this morning. I'm going to try to stay within my time limit here this morning. How many nights a challenge for people with a lot of hot air? I'm looking at some of you, so. 
Three things this morning. You're brand new. When you receive Christ, you are not recycled. You didn't get rehabbed. You ever rehab a house? People buy a house and they rehab it. You're not rehabbed. You didn't get a new coat of paint. <laughs> I don't want to go there. I'm starting to say something. <laughs> Got to stay focused this morning. Um, you didn't turn over a new leaf. You are brand new. When a baby is born again, he didn't have a, are born, he didn't have a past. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation, brand new. The Amplified says it this way, a new creation, a new creature altogether. So if we think about brand new, when my son, grandson Lucas, was born four years ago in February, he didn't have a past. He said, Pastor, everybody's got a past. Spiritually, you don't have a past because Scripture says you were dead before Jesus came into your heart, before you were born again. Now, there's some, there's some words in Scripture that we're going to touch on very quickly before I get to the meat of my point this morning. One's called regeneration. It means the beginning of a spiritual change. You were regenerated. The Spirit of God came into your spirit. You've heard me say this so many times, but you're a three-part person, spirit, soul, and body. Your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. They didn't get born again. Say amen. Your body didn't change. Say, oh, me. (laughs) Your spirit got born again. The Holy Spirit, you were born again from the inside. Regeneration. Second word's justification. It means just as if it hadn't happened. It means you've been justified as a result of Jesus Christ. Your sins have been just as if they never happened. You've been made righteous. Now, when I say that this morning, justification, if I were to go before a judge this morning and and there was looking on my computer, if you've ever been stopped by Burns Mill, are they still here? Just a joke. You get stopped and they pull you up on the computer, they see your record. Can I tell you that you don't have a record of your past? And most of us can say, glory to God. The rest of you we'll pray for later in the service. The second word is redemption. It means to buy back or to purchase. You and I have been purchased with the blood of Christ. If you say, what do you mean we've been purchased? In Genesis chapter 2, it says, You must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. God's telling them, when you eat of it, you'll die. They ate of that tree of, of knowledge. They didn't die in the natural. They died spiritually. They were dead. You and I were dead until we came to Christ in the Spirit. We've been regenerated. The third word is sanctification. And the definition, I think, that's the easiest to understand, I become less like me and more like Christ. And the longer I stay in love with Him and follow Him, the more I become like Him. Karen and I have been married 40 years, 41 this year. We can finish each other's sentences. We think alike some of the time. What are you saying, Pastor? I am saying this. We, we have become like Christ. We are becoming less like ourselves and more like Him. How does a person become justified? In the Old Testament, you were justified by your behavior. You followed the law. In the New Testament, you're justified by faith, what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for me. And I, I'm going to kind of speed right here. The next one, justification It's instantaneous. When you got saved, you were justified immediately. When my grandson was born, we held him within an hour. I'm saying it happened instantaneously. And yet sanctification is a process that began then that continues throughout your life. It means what Christ is doing in us, not just for us. Second point this morning, being brand new. Brand new is, is not recycled. The second is you have a new identity. Your past 
versus your present. I used to say to Carl Hubman before he, when, before he got married to Bonnie, we'd say there's pre-Bonnie and post-Bonnie. There's pre-Christ and post-Christ. There's your old person and there's your new person. This new person is a new identity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, it says this, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, are idolaters, are adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderous, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were, past tense. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He is saying, he's speaking to a church. He's at a congregation. He's looking at people and he is saying, some of you were swindlers. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were drunkards. And he goes through the list. He didn't say they were now. He said they used to be that way. Just for, just for grins this morning, in this congregation... I'm sure there's some guests here today, and I pray, I'm happy to meet you today. But you may say, Pastor, I feel like a fish out of water. If I ask you, how many of you in your past have been involved in drugs, a drunkard, nicotine, swindler, greedy, etc., etc., how many of you have that in your past? Would you stand? If you have that in your past, would you stand? Okay? Two-thirds of the congregation, you may be seated. Pastor, why'd you do that? Because when I was a brand new Christian, I went to church, I thought all these people had their act together. I thought they'd been perfect all the... And, and that's not true. You were something, but you are something today. Now, when we talk about Lucas, my grandson, he's at the farm, and can you imagine we have photographs of our grandson on the wall? Can you imagine that? So he was down some time ago, and there's a picture of him at two years old, and Karen looks at this picture with him, and she said, Lucas, who is that? And he said, that's Lucas. That's me when I was a baby. And then she looks at him, another picture, and she says, who are you now? He said, I'm a big boy now. I'm four. I'm a teenager. <laughs> he understood yesterday and today. And I'm saying spiritually we do the same thing. We've been pardoned by God. It says in Hebrews 10, the sin, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember their sins no more. It didn't say that I was innocent in the past. You don't pardon an innocent person. You pardon a guilty person. We were guilty. We've been pardoned. God chooses not to remember our sins anymore. A couple of weeks ago, Karen and I went on a date to Cape Girardeau. Cape's about an hour away. And we went to this, out for dinner and a movie, and we saw this movie, Do You Believe? Have you, anybody seen that movie? I thought it was very inspirational. And I watched the movie, and one of the scenes there was two guys, and they, they're partners in crime. And one of them had been raised by a mother who prayed for him. He knew about Jesus Christ. And they went out and they robbed another drug dealer. One drug dealer robs another drug dealer. Makes sense. Just teasing. And, and, so, and, and they got separated. The one who had the money got saved. Two days later, they meet, and his friend in crime says, where's the money? He said, I gave it away. He said, what happened? He said, I got saved. And the man said, you mean you're trying to become religious? He said, no, I'm a different person now than I was two days ago. There is the pre-Christ and after Christ. We are changed. Paul says it this way, old man, new man. How many old men are in the building? He's referring to the old nature, the new nature. Ephesians chapter 4. Would you turn there?
you have your, if you have your Bible, turn there. This is a scripture I think most of you probably have underlined or highlighted. If you don't, it's worth doing so. If you're a new Christian, this is a great scripture to memorize. It'll help you in your identity in Christ. It said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, why is it important that I focus on this new person? Because when we think about the new person, the enemy wants me to focus on the past. Uh, The last week of last year, I was speaking at a church in southern Missouri, and and, uh, I was preaching on this subject, how to get past your past. And after I got through, a guy came up to me and said, Hey, Pastor Ed, man, you were reading my mail this morning. I said, I... I'm not that smart. What do you mean? He said, I've been in and out of jail for the last four years. I received Christ, and I'm trying to get past my past. I'm saying to you, getting past your past helps us to go forward for whatever God has in our life. I saw a couple of statements. On the, we'll go to the next slide this morning. What's right about your future is more important than what's wrong about your past. The enemy wants you to drive through the rear windshield. How many great backers do we have in here this morning? Anybody? How fast can you go in reverse? How many of you going in reverse have ever had a wreck? My wife's going to be quiet here because she gave me a backup trophy award one year. Another statement I saw, a great way to overcome your past is to be under the influence of your future. Now we know what it means to DWI to be under the influence. Can I tell you, I need to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean I need to be drunk in the Spirit every day, but I need to be drunk in the Spirit sometimes. But I need to be under the influence of this new part of me, the new nature, brand new, the Holy Spirit that's living in me. There's a new identity. You have a new identity. When Karen got married, her name used to be Hodge. It's now Cheryl. When you got saved, you have a new identity. You were something in the past, but you are someone different today. You are in Christ. Let me share with you three scriptures. Ephesians 1 and 7. It says, in Him we have redemption. If my identity is apart from Him, I'm in trouble. It's in Him. The next scripture this morning is Ephesians. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were, past tense. Again, I'm coming to the fact I'm in Him. The third scripture this morning, Ephesians 2.22, And in Him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. All of my identity now needs to be in Him. In the New Christian class, we used to teach people, especially in Ephesians, go through and every place it says in Him, underline it in your Bible. He is wanting you to identify with Him, not with everybody else. If my identity isn't with Him, I'm going to miss out on what are the, many of the great things that God wants to do in my life. And when we think about identity this morning, society wants me to focus on many different things. I, they want me to focus on, on, on what your body looks like. How many of you know you don't want to remember what your body used to look like? I saw a statement at a printing shop when I was getting something a few months ago, getting a newsletter printed, and it said, mirror, mirror on the wall. What happened? <laughs> Your identity is not on your physical person. It's not on the car you drive. It's not on the house you live in. It's not on a title that you have. It has to be in Him. Because as you go down the road on your journey, 
You're going to have different titles and different seasons, but your identity is in Him at every season of life. Everybody said amen this morning. What Christ has done for us. Why is identity so important? Because my identity determines what I think about. It determines the choices that I make. It determines the wording that I use often. It determines the actions. It's the new, it's the new person being in Jesus Christ. Now, if we were to ask you, who are you this morning? A few weeks ago, Lucas was at the farm and we were on the four-wheeler. We went out to this pond and we're on the way back and I said to him, Lucas, who are you? And he said, Lucas, wonderful. Lucas, what's your name? He told me his name. And so then I said, Lucas, who's your, who's your daddy? Daddy? No, no, what's daddy's name? He said, John Sherl. So I said, who's your mama? Mama. What's mama's name? He told me mama's name. I said, who am I? And he said, Papa. And I said, what's Papa's name? He didn't have any answer. I got over it, okay? What are you saying this morning? Everybody has an identity. And if your identity isn't in him, it's going to be the wrong identity. It's going to be in what you do or what your performance is or how healthy or unhealthy you are or whether you've got a great job or no job. If your identity isn't in him, you're going to miss out on what God has for you as you go forward. I think of David. Everybody, even society, knows about David and Goliath. You can watch a movie. People that aren't believers, they'll talk about David and Goliath. Here's David and Goliath, and David is running towards Goliath. And, and, and Goliath, he said to him, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. His identity was that. In the natural, it looked like Pee Wee Herman going against Hulk Hogan. Can I tell you some of your battles? You and I look like Pee Wee Herman in the natural. Pee Wee say amen. (laughs) But you know what? Your identity isn't just about you in the natural. Your identity is about you and God. Your problems compared to you may seem large, but compared to God, your problems are small compared to the God that we serve. Can I get a witness this morning? God loves us. If somebody were to ask David, if they went to David's father and said, hey, hey, Dad, who is David? He would have probably said, he's a shepherd boy. He's my youngest. If they had gone to David's brothers, who is David? They said, well, he's our, he's our little brother. He brings us bread in the, for the, in the battlefield. He's just our little brother. If they had asked Goliath, who is David? He said, you're going to be bird food shortly. But when God saw David... He saw a shepherd, he saw a warrior, he saw a future king. Can I tell you, God sees you as you were yesterday, quote, in the sense that when you got born again, yesterday he sees you, he sees you who you are today, he sees sees what's going to happen in the future. He sees uh, Max, what Max is going to be in the future. He sees what all four of Vincent and Allison's girls are going to be in the future. Their identity is in Christ. And God wants me to find my identity in Him, in His presence. Now, how did David find this identity? He's a shepherd. He's out on the back 40. I live on 40. I know what the back 40 is, okay? He's he's taking care of sheep. He didn't have an iPad. He didn't have an iPod. He didn't have anything. He is out in the middle of nowhere. He's in the presence of God. Sometimes when we get in the presence of God, sometimes we speak to God. Can I tell you, if you stay in His presence, there'll be times He speaks to you. 
I don't, as Bob Sorge said in his book, Secrets of the Secret Place, when I talk to God, I can't tell you anything changes, but when he speaks to me, I can tell you big things change. Your identity comes by being in his presence and in his word going forward in various areas of life. You know, the 23rd Psalm that all of us know, the Lord is my shepherd. Who wrote that? David wrote that. He's the shepherd. He's declaring who his shepherd is. And I I think it's so powerful when we take God's word and declare it over our life. I was in a men's small group in a church that I've been attending, and a guy just came through cancer, and he's sharing with these other men the importance of declaring God's word over his life. He said, I'm headed to work, and I begin, instead of listening to the news, I begin to take God's word and declare it over me, my wife, our children. I declare it over my life for the day. The word of God changes my life. When you speak the word of God, it begins to help to reinforce that identity, and it changes what's happening. Now, we talk about identity. I I was speaking to a group of pastors last month in Cape Toronto. And there's about 35 pastors there. And, and I got this voicemail on my phone. And after the, I finished, I picked it up. And it was the accountant that I went to in Jackson. I used to have an accountant here in South County. And she said, Mr. Sherrill, we, we sent your return in electronically last night. And it came back rejected today. And I said, what does that mean? She said, it means identity theft. Somebody has filed with your social. Okay. What do, what do I do now? She said, you have to come and get an affidavit, and you've got to have a passport or a driver's license proving who you are. Well, my name is Lucas. <laughs> what do you, so, so we jump through the hoops, and here's the point. The affidavit and the passport had to prove that Ed Sherrill is who Ed Sherrill is. I couldn't prove who I am. We had to go back and find the birth certificate. When you got born again, you may not have understood it, but the birth certificate says, I was born at St. Francis Hospital in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. It has a date on there. It has an attending physician. It has validation that I'm who I say I am. Spiritually, you are who you say you are in Christ. And if you can't find your identity, the enemy will come to take your identity away. He wants you to figure out the old man or performance or whatever. God has something better for us. We focus in that area. Now, the Bible tells me if I'm going to change, two things have to happen. I have to change what I think about. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible also tells me there's life and death in the power of the tongue. A person, if they're going to change, it's what they think about and what they say. You can meet somebody you've never met, you can talk to them for uh, maybe a half an hour, and you can find out something about that person by the very words that they share. Say, Say amen this morning. Now, we all say crazy things. I'm not talking about perfection or legalism. I'm talking about somebody says, are you a Christian? Don't say, I hope so. Say, I am. How do you know you are? Well, such and such time, such and such day, such and such week, I received Christ. If you can't remember a specific time, then, then do it again today. Why is that important? Because the enemy wants to take your identity away from Christ. I saw this a few weeks ago, this statement. It said, what's the difference, what makes the difference between your past and your future is your present state of mind. I need to renew my mind. I don't care if you're six years old, four-year-olds like my grandson, or 14 or 24 or 84, you constantly need to renew your mind. You constantly need to take a shower every day. Say amen. I'm saying the same thing happens on the inside. Watching my clock here. Galatians 2 and 20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. Pastor, what are you talking about? I'm trying to find my identity. 
I'm trying to keep my identity. I don't want it to be taken away because I have a good day or a bad day or feelings or whatever. Third point this morning, you're brand new, not a rehab. Secondly, you have a new identity. You're in Christ. You were something, but you are something different today, pre and post. Third thing, you have a new purpose in life. Ephesians 2 and 10, it says, For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. The church I'm going to in Cape Girardeau is a friend there. His name's Gary Brothers. He spoke here last June. Gary said, I used to be a farmer, and I had all kinds of dreams, and I wouldn't give up my dream. And God said, until you give up your dream, you can't live my dream. I'm not saying your dream is good or bad or ugly. I'm saying the dream is what's God's dream for you. When you fit into God's plan, I'm telling you, it's a whole lot easier and happier and more joyful in life. Say amen this morning. The Amplified says we are His handiwork. The NIV says His workmanship. You know, if you've ever watched a new parent or a grandparent, they do silly things. Okay. Right? Yes. I see my neighbor. Now, I know when we say that, when you see that child, you know why, you know why grandparents and parents go goo-goo and crazy stuff? You know why? They get so excited because they see part of them in that child. Yeah. They see that. There's something exciting. I think God sees himself in you. And God wants to put his plan in you, not just for emotions or feelings. He has a plan for you. Now, that plan uh, requires a lot of different things. But the plan basically is this. God's goal in life is not for me to be comfortable. I like comfort. God wants me to have seasons of comfort. But God's goal is not comfort. I have this tractor. It's about a 30-horse tractor. It's got a front-end bucket on it, and it's got a grappler on the bucket. The grappler, when you pick up a log, it goes down, and you can pick up a log. Well, a while back, I had this huge stump left behind by the dozer, and I'm trying to move it, and it's bigger than my tractor. However, that couldn't stop a real man. You just try anyway. So I got it up, and it kind of bent part of the grappler, and I took it to this welder, and he said, you know that tractor's not a dozer, don't you? I said, you know, I really appreciate that advice. I said, here's the thing. I didn't buy that tractor to keep it in the barn. I bought the tractor to work with. God has a plan for you. And you may get bent up and knocked down and bruised in life. And you will. I'm telling you, get up. God's got a plan. It isn't just to be comfortable. Every dream, I found, is preceded by seasons of preparation. I don't care what you're going to do. God has preparation for you. And our our outcome in life is often determined by what you're willing to overcome. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, not even loving their lives even unto death. You're going to overcome stuff in accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And God's purpose isn't all the stuff that you do, it's who you're becoming. God's far more concerned in who Ed Sherrill is becoming than he is buildings or whatever we do. God's far more concerned about Pastor Josh and Lauren, who they're becoming, than what they ever accomplish. God's priority is if He has you, He'll take care of everything else. But if you're just doing something and He's not changing you, that's not what's going to make God happy. Here's Moses. Spent 40 years as a prince in Egypt and 40 years as a shepherd. Here's David. He was anointed as a king as a teenager, but it was years before he became the king. And most of you know that story. If you take Joseph, here he is, a coat of many colors. But he bragged he ended up in a pit and he ended up in slavery and, and, a, and a prison before he ever got to the palace. Here's Joseph. We mentioned Joseph various things. In marriage, can I tell you, if your marriage is going to be good, you're going to have to work at it. All the married people said yes. 
No, pastor, marriages just happen. They, they may just happen, but there better be something after just happening to go forward. In business, when it comes to business, I have a, a nephew and his family's in the uh, uh, cabinet business, very large cabinet business. He's the vice president. I said, how did your dad prepare you to be a leader in the company? He said, my dad made me work at every job in the plant. I said, every job? Every job. Can I tell you, he was prepared to lead the company because he had, he had actually been doing what they were doing in, the, in, the, in that particular business. And, and the key is God's preparedness today for our tomorrows. And again, it's this who versus what. I'm going to go ahead here to my close this morning. But a few weeks ago when I was studying for this sermon, I woke up at 3.45 one morning. I don't normally wake up at 3.45. And if I do, I'm trying to figure out how I can go back to bed. I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, so I said, God woke me up, so I, I got up and read my devotion. And when I was studying, God, the Holy Spirit drew me to this one thing, and it's for somebody here this morning. It's a book by Mark Batterson called Soul Print. It's one of his first books out. I went back to that book that I'd read, and I found the highlights, and he made a statement in that particular book, is this, God won't take us where he wants us to go until he gets us to become what he wants us to be. God's more concerned in what you're becoming than what you do. You say, Pastor, is that for me? It's for somebody here this morning. God, you say, I'm not doing all these things, but are you doing something? Is God doing something on the inside? You may have all kinds of, of, of stuff here, all kinds of stuff in the barnyard you're stepping in. God's going to have you get to the barn. He wants, he wants to bless you in that way. Why does God have seasons of preparations? Because God never sets you up to fail, God sets you up to succeed. And if God wants you at a particular place, He's going to prepare you before you get there. If you pole vault over there, then you probably won't be prepared to do what God wants you to do. Now, this new purpose in life, as I'm watching my time this morning, Karen and I have been attending church in Cape Girardeau for the last six months. Uh, Not six months, since the first of the year, four months. And, And we joined a couple of small groups to have relationships. She and I are in one small group together, and then I join this other group. It's just for guys. And there's 12 of them. And, and they know I'm a, I was a pastor, but I don't talk about it. I'm just there. I'm just Ed. And, and so we're sharing. And the book that we're using is called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. And I thought, what is that book? And it was written by a guy, two people. One of them is Bill Johnson that Tim and Fawn have been in his ministry school out in California. And it was this, this pastor was raised and he had a pauper's mentality. He said, my father died when I was two years old. The next 15 years, my mother married two different men. I was physically, emotionally abused. And I had this pauper's mentality. I have no value. You sit down and shut up. We don't want to hear you. And I grew up with that mentality. Here I am in ministry and I'm trying to lead people to be a son and a daughter, to be a prince and a princess, but I still think like a pauper. He said, God's been working in my life, identity, that I'm in Christ. And the statement came out in the book that I read, Moses was a prince for 40 years. And then he was a shepherd for 40 years. He needed both of those to lead God's people. When you became a child of God, you became a son and a daughter You have a prince and a princess mentality or you have a pauper's mentality. The pauper is not not financial. You're not important. 
God says you're very important. And then, then I, I was reading this particular book years ago by Max Licato, and, and I ran across this story about an orphan. He said between 1854 and 1929, there were 200,000 orphans on the East Coast. Nobody knew what to do with them. Where did these orphans come from? Well, they, some from parents of the Civil War, some from immigrants, immigrants who couldn't take care of their children. Others, the parents died, and they put them in orphanages. And someone came up with this idea called an orphan's train. And they took, an, each orphan train put 30 to 60 children on a train, and they sent them out west, they sent them to the south. And they, they'd come to a town, and people would come and examine these children like you would examine livestock. Pretty humiliating. And this one little boy, his name is Lee Nailing. He and his two brothers, younger, had been in an orphanage for two years. They'd lost their mother. She died. The father could not take care of them. And so they were placed on this orphan's train, eight years old and two younger brothers. The biological father came with an envelope, had his address on it. And he said to his son, when you get to where you're going, here's my address, write to me, and I hope to come and rescue you one day. So they get on the train. Two days later, the little boy wakes up. The envelope's gone. He has no hope. They come to a town in Texas, and the first thing that happened, they separated his little brothers. One little brother was taken by somebody at one stop. They get to the next stop, the next stop. Second brother's taken. Finally, they come to him. And he's, he's supposedly adopted by this family on a farm, and he didn't fit. And they rejected him. And so they put him on the next train that came through. He's back on the orphan train. He goes to the next place. Down the road, somebody else adopts him. And they abuse him, and he runs away from them. He comes back, and eventually he's bound the third orphan's train. And finally, a middle-aged couple took this child into their home, and he's thinking inside, how can I run away from them? And the first morning he got up, and they had biscuits and gravy, and he started to eat. And his father said, hold it, we're going to pray. And he said, our heavenly father, our father in heaven, that little boy knew the Lord's prayer. In that orphanage, they recited that prayer every morning, our father. And the father said, thank you for our new son, Lee. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to raise him properly? He's our son. Wow. Little boy, prayer's over. He finishes breakfast. Then they take him to town. They take him to the local Walmart back in 1800, okay? And they buy him a new set of clothes, and they introduce him. They come up to him. And they say to this, this man, to Rick, Rick, this is my son Lee. Wow. Then they take him to a barber shop, and they, they come to the barber, and they say, Mike, this is my son Lee. And the more he kept hearing the fact that he was their son, he chose not to run away. Where are you going, Pastor. You had an identity, and you may have been an orphan, but when you came to Christ, your identity is you are in Christ today. He calls you his son and his daughter, and if you don't identify with that, the devil and the enemy is going to get your identity somewhere else in some way, but your identity will hold you and help you to go forward in your purpose, not in so much what you do, but in who you are. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you this morning we can call you our Father. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, touch their heart this morning. Take off the blindfolds. May all the stuff and the spirit come down that they can see you clearly, that you love them, you care about them, 
You love them exactly as they are. I pray your blessings upon them today. I pray your blessings for any brother and sister here this morning. That your child, but they still have that pauper mentality. They have an orphan spirit. I cry out in the name of Jesus that they see themselves in you this morning. And it changes their footsteps and their thoughts and how they think about themselves and decisions they make forever. In Christ's name, while every head's bowed, if you're not a child of God today, and you would like to ask Him into your heart, you're one simple prayer away from receiving Him. Family, would you say this prayer with me today? And if you don't know Him, would you say this prayer? Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, April the 19th. I confess that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come in right now and I receive you. Help me to go forward and to grow up in you. In Jesus' name, amen.